Choose life, choose a sport, choose a drop zone, choose a start time, choose a fucking big jump plane, choose turbine engines, speed, unlimited altitude, and endless horizons. Choose height, no low turns, and travel insurance. Choose jump tickets, choose tiny action cameras, choose your mates, choose a rig and matching helmet, choose swoop shorts and a range of fucking fabrics, choose 120 vertical speed and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch, watching debriefs, spirit-saving slow-mos, smashing beers after last load. Choose standing on the podium at the end of it all. Choose a win you'll love every time. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you fly NZ Aerosports? Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck-yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe... There's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports, fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So the equipment is top of the line kick-ass stuff as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. Hell, they've even got a special offer for all you lunatic listeners out there. Just head to pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void. That's pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void and follow the instructions to register a website account with them. You'll score a discount voucher with 20 bucks towards any purchase over $200. I mean, come on. You know you're going to shop with NZ Aerosports, so grab a little extra cash towards that buy and enjoy. The offer is good until the 31st of December, and the voucher is good for three months, so go register now. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, and we're actually in the can this time, and let's start it out this way. Cheers. Cheers. Who the fuck are you? What do you do? Hi, I'm Flavio Almeida. And I'm a tandem instructor, camera guy, super. Nice, nice, Flavio. Flavio, so from your accent, I can tell you're from Chicago. 
<laughs> yeah, just north of Chicago. Just, just a little north of just Chicago. <laughs> Very cool. I'm actually from Brazil. Yeah, nice. Night. Whereabouts in Brazil? I was born in Guarulhos. It's a. Uh, it's just outside of São Paulo. Okay. But I like to say that I'm from Rio. From Rio. Yeah. Is that because uh, people like was, me know it? No, just because I was uh, I was raised in Rio. Oh, and nice. My accent. Everybody thinks that I'm from Rio. Oh, nice. That was well, so me being a typical American. I wouldn't know the difference between one uh, Brazilian accent well, and think, the next. I think just Brazilians can tell. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. So you so you started skydiving in in Brazil then. Yes. Nice. When I was sixteen, but it was this was in the north of Brazil. I was living there in Belém. Okay. Um, I have no idea where any of that stuff is. <laughs> it's close to the rainforest, Amazon forest there. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. God, that must have been a stunning place to jump. It was all right. It was pretty cool. Yeah. 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 What uh, What made you decide you wanted to jump out of airplanes? And I met this guy, and he was an instructor. Okay. And he said, oh, you should try. It's really cool. And I'm like, okay, why not? Is it? I mean, because I've talked to a couple of people that started jumping in Brazil, but it was a, a very small sport for a long time, yeah? Yes. Yeah, it got, well, it's getting bigger and bigger now, but sure. for a long time it was pretty small. We only had a couple of turbine planes in the whole country. I Who was I talking to? I think it was Maha that I was talking to that told me that as well, that uh, um, it was just a couple of piston drop zones and then the world changed when somebody got a turbine. Yeah. No, but even when... So when I started in this place in the north of Brazil, it was just uh, was a little Cessna 182. You know? mm. And then in 1997, we started getting caravans on the weekend sometimes. Mm. But we didn't have enough people to run a caravan. Sure. But at that time, I think it was only two water turbines in Brazil. It was one um, sky van mm. in Campinas and one caravan somewhere else. Oh no! And they they got a twin, not a twin, not a what is the name? What is another multi? Was it a tailgate or a side door? No, no, two 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 turbines. Mm. Uh, King Air, King Air. Oh, King in, Air. in Brazil too, but that was that was it. And well, then well, and so actually, you told me uh, pre-podcast today's a pretty fucking special day for you. Yeah, today complete twenty-four years skydiving. Twenty-four year day. birthday, was dude. That's intense. That's so cool. Hey, cheers. Cheers. That you're in the studio, sitting in the can on your anniversary. Twenty-four fucking years, man. That's epic. Because yeah. I hit in eighteen days, I hit twenty-five. Awesome. It's insane, right? Insane. We were talking about that. This is more than half of your life because you started jumping when you were how old? 16. Fucking hell, man. Yeah. I had just turned 16. What 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 drove you? I mean, you said that somebody decided, they, they said you should jump out of an airplane, but at 16 years old, I don't think I would have had the stones to do it. I didn't even think about it. It was like the guy invited me, he said, oh, you should try. It's really cool. It's like, okay, let's see how it's going. But I wasn't afraid at all. On the second jump, I was a little bit more scared. Right. I was like, fuck this thing already. <laughs> right. <laughs> already opened for me today. Yep. And, I, like, and then it was a little bit cloudy, you know, like I got some, some raindrops really? as I was climbing out of the plane. And I was like, a little bit more scared. But then. So that, you did static line. Wow. Wow. Okay. See, because I I mean, my first one was a tandem and it took me, uh, we had bad weather in Vegas of all places to have bad weather. It took me a month of going every week because I only had one day a week that I could go try and jump and every fucking day it was bad weather. Uh, So when I finally did get to jump, it was more relief than anything, but it was a tandem. I don't know if I could have gotten myself to do a static line. The same thing happened to me. Well, I did the ground course, and then I didn't jump for a couple of days. When I actually did the ground course, I was still 15. But then, <laughs> and then it was bad weather. That place close to the rainforest, it rains a lot. Mm. And then I couldn't jump, and then I had already told everybody at school that I was <laughs> going to jump. You didn't have a choice. Yeah, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> so it was fine. I did it with one of my best friends. Yeah. We jumped together, you know. It was really cool. And his dad actually did a course, too. Oh, wow. So you did the, your first two jumps, you did the same day? The same day, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, my second one scared me a lot more, too, because I think something in the back of my mind was like, no, you fucking survived it. You did it. You get to say you did it. Why are you doing this again? This is stupid. And then, of course, as soon as you're off the plane, you remember, right? I mean, at least for me, that was what it was. It was – so, I mean, did you land from those first couple of jumps and go, all right, fuck, I'm going to be a skydiver? No. 
no, no, like not not professional skydiver. Sure. I mean, like I love that, and it's like I really want to do more and more of this. But I didn't think I'm gonna be a skydiver. Actually, back then I didn't even think how it was gonna be possible to make a lot to leave off skydiving. Sure. You know, like it was so far sure out of my realm. Well, I'm sure you've heard the same question over your life too. People that don't know the sport are like. Wait, how do you make money as a skydiver? You can make money doing that? <laughs> yeah, not yeah. a lot, though. No, no, no. <laughs> I can, I can, we would say this in Brazil, at least we say there's only one way to get rich skydiving is if you start as, off as a millionaire yeah, and then yeah. you get down to rich. They, they say the same thing, uh, yeah, or how do you make a couple million dollars skydiving? You start out with 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. So uh, what did the family think when you started skydiving? They weren't thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a funny story actually because when I, so I was 16 and I needed a, I needed my parents signature to, yeah, yeah. for me to sign <laughs> right. for me to jump and then I came to my dad and he didn't even take a second look he just signed and he didn't even pay attention to what I was saying he hmm. just signed it and I was like okay and then my mom flipped out <laughs> she freaked out yeah, moms, really moms do that and then, <laughs> but like she was Guilt tripping him and said like, "Oh, he's gonna die. It's gonna be your fault." <laughs> and whatever, it's like really h- hardcore arguments. One of the worst I've I've seen them having in wow. this so many years. They may be married. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> and then he got he signed. So I already had the paper. Right. So she was yelling, but I already had the paper. It was hidden. It was safe. <laughs> so there's no way to she could do anything about That's it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, now, so she must have hated that you. Not only went there once, but then you fell in love with it. Yeah, she hated it. Uh, I now, mean, now after twenty four years, she's a little bit more used to it. That was it. I mean, I and you get the same thing too, especially being a tandem instructor. You always have those students that come out that go, "Yeah, I haven't told my mom yet. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna tell her after." And you know, oh my god, my mom's gonna freak out. And I, all I could ever think was, "Your mom freaks out. What do you think our moms?" think my yeah. moms know that we go to work to do this five or six days a week yeah. <laughs> you know for for many years every time i i jumped i had to call her afterwards say really? that was okay oh and no. i was already doing professionally you know every day yeah. and then in the end of the day it was not after every jump but then in the end of the day i have to call her everything's fine <laughs> <laughs> i survived today oh. Yet another day. That's fucking funny. My uh, uh, my mom was relieved that I started doing something uh, uh, smarter like skydiving. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, um, when you go from uh, from becoming a professional stripper yeah. to jumping out of airplanes, <laughs> she was much more proud to tell all her friends that, yeah, what does he do? He jumps out of airplanes. That was much better than when he takes I his pants off in public. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The whole proud mom thing is a little bit more difficult uh-huh. when you do what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Well, so you you do those first couple of jumps. You're kind of hooked, but you're 16 years old. How the fuck does a 16-year-old start afford to be a skydiver? So that's the thing. So they said, okay, you can't jump, my parents. Right. They said, you can't jump, but we're not going to pay for it. Sure. So you find a way to pay sure. if you want. And then I started working as a salesman on a, on a clothes store. Oh, wow. Okay, so like retail. Yeah, I retail, have a yeah. difficult time picturing you doing retail. It was hard for me. <laughs> I was not cut out for it. No. No, but I was, I was working like six days a week, you know. And after, after school, because I was still studying, I was in high school. Mm. And then after, after, after school, I would go there and work many, many hours. So I could afford one, two jumps per month, which was wow. pretty hard in the beginning. I mean, so you started at an age where, like, a lot of the people that I talked to, they either walked away from careers or they had an idea or they had a career at the time to be able to afford to jump. But you started jumping just about the age when you're deciding what you're going to be when you grow up. So did you know pretty early on in, in skydiving that, you know, something, I'm going to keep doing this and maybe I'm going to push for it? Or when did you decide I'm going to make skydiving my life? Man, it took a long time. Because also I didn't I didn't know I had no idea how to do it mm. and I didn't think it was possible to live off skydive and have a reasonable, sure. reasonably like decent life. Sure, I didn't think it was possible. Not and definitely not where I was where I started skydiving. Mm. You know, and I was studying and I, I after I and then I went to the army. 
You went to the army? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> but so I went to the army. It was already skydiving. Mm. And then, but I, it was, in the States, it would be like West Point, you know, as okay. an academy for to become an officer. Okay, cool. So that's what I did for three years. And it was five years. The people that started with me, now they're, they're majors are most lieutenant colonel. Wow. Wow. Do you think you made the right choice? <laughs> <laughs> I think so, actually, because I wasn't really happy, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the military is a different beast, right? Yeah, it's that's a whole different kind of world. I mean, we kind of have some of the um, the feel and and maybe some of the uh, intensity of a life of a military man because some of the stuff that we do is pretty fucking intense stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's that kind of battlefield mentality, I guess. But uh, I don't think I could handle the whole life. Um, well, so- what killed for me was the routine, you know. It was pretty wake up every time, same day, and do the yeah. same thing. Go to... So I, I wasn't really happy. And then I left the Army, and I didn't know what to do. and had no idea I could become a professional skydiver. Still. Mm. I was still jumping for fun, but not as much because I couldn't really afford it. And then... I went to university, and I started doing mathematics and wow. economic and, and business. Okay. I was doing two universities at the same time. I learned so many things <laughs> about fucking skydivers. It's ridiculous. I am never not surprised and impressed by the stuff that I find out. I would never peg you as an economics and math guy. I just wouldn't. You're yeah. this big, beefy Brazilian guy that jumps out of airplanes. I would never pick. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's a total math guy. No, yeah. that's awesome, dude. That's all. What Was that something that you just have always enjoyed? Are you just good with yeah, math? Yeah, I'm pretty good with math, yeah. I yeah. always had an easy time with math. And then I decided, oh, okay, I'm going to start math. <laughs> and then I started studying, and then I moved to Canada. Mm. It's a long story. When my father moved to Canada, he said, oh, I should come. And I was doing university in Brazil. I didn't want to go, but I was like, okay. He he forced, no, he didn't force me, but like he convinced me to go mm. for six months for, so I would learn English. Okay. And then after I learned English, I said, okay, I'm here. I was in Montreal, so I might as well learn French too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. I started start studying French. It's like, okay, I'm going to transfer the university here. And then I start. I kept studying there. So you speak French? Yeah. Fucking hell. Man, I'll tell you what, and I'm lucky that I've traveled as much as I've had, and I meet all these amazing people, and the more and more I travel, the more that I realize that Americans are probably the only people on the planet that only speak English. And there's a lot of multilingual Americans as well, so maybe I'm just talking about me, but it's horrifying. It's just... I think it's easier for you guys because most people are trying to learn English. Mm, yeah, so everybody every, speaks English. Everywhere you go, you have people that speak English. So Yeah, I've been to the teeniest little islands in Fiji, and they speak English. Yeah. So we're kind of spoiled. Everybody speaks English. I think but. that's the main reason. You know, you can get off English. We can get easy. away with it. You can get away. You know, get off, get yeah, away with it. get off with it, too. <laughs> <laughs> you can get away with it. So easy, yeah. Yeah. what took your father to Canada? Man, my father was the Brazilian representative at the ICAO. Really? Yeah. You know the ICAO, International Civil Aviation Organization? Yeah, I know ICAO. Was, and then there's a committee that studies something countries in the committee. Yeah. And the Brazil has a chair on the committee, so my father was on the chair. No shit. Yeah. So you're kind of royalty in my world. <laughs> I mean, I had to study all that kinds of shit to pass a lot of the, the license stuff. So, but wow. My, my, my father, it was back on, um, in Brazil, the Air Force, the, the, the civil aviation was controlled by the Air Force. Yeah, yeah. No, not anymore. My father is from the Air Force. Oh, wow. Okay, so that kind of explains the military as well. So he he ended up in Canada specifically to work for ICAO. Just for two years, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And you went and learned fucking French and studied English mathematics. And French, and then he left and I stayed there. My brother's still there. Really? Yeah, he lives there. Like He's been since 2004, like 16, 17 years almost. Wow, wow. And that's so you you end up in Canada learning fucking French and English and mathematics, and did you start picking up skydiving again? Yeah, and then in the the summer, because there was 
I was working as a bouncer. <laughs> For okay, this is an audio only podcast, so people can't see. You are a substantial human being. You're a big yeah, guy. Yeah. I would think so. I'll, I'll say so. Yeah. I actually was thinking about it pre-podcast that I was going to die laughing if the first jump you did was a tandem because you're like my worst nightmare tandem student because you're a big guy. <laughs> so you worked as a bouncer. Of course, you worked as a bouncer. Yeah. <laughs> At what kind of club? Oh, I many many different clients, but uh, the one that worked the, the longest was a hip hop club. Nice. Nice. That must have been a hell of a fucking change from jumping just outside the rainforest in a 182 to bouncing a hip hop club in in Montreal. Yeah, it was. It's rough, man. Being a bouncer and the fights every day. For sure. And <laughs> in the end, I was kicked out of Canada because of that. <laughs> I was deported from Canada. Oh, please tell me. Come on, I gotta hear this. How did uh, you, you got deported from Canada? I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> so one day, like this guy, I worked in the club, and then this guy got kicked out. Mm. And it, it was a uh, it's one of the highest buildings in Montreal, mm. and the the club is in the top floor. Okay, but it was downstairs on the ground level, you know. Yeah, walking outside, and then so this guy got kicked out, and he stayed downside. It's like out uh, outside. And then he wants to come back in. He was super drunk, whatever. And then he went to punch a, like uh, one of the security guards from the building. Mm. And I went and did one punch. <laughs> and then the guy fell. <sighs> and I was prosecuted, whatever. Holy shit. Three years later, I got deported from Canada. Uh, you know, I tell you what. Uh, over the years, I've spent a fair amount of time in different clubs and stuff, and I never envied the bouncers because they have no choice but to stop fights and keep all that stuff going. And I I mean, I always thought you guys are in harm's way all the time. All the time. People don't realize, but like I got friends being stabbed in the Fucking job, hell. I got a guy broke a bottle, a 40-ounce bottle on my head, a vodka <laughs> bottle on my head. It was really hardcore. Yeah. A lot of fights every day, street fights. It, so it, a lot uh, of drunk people. Alcohol. Cheers yeah. to that. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Here you go. <laughs> and then. Wow. So the guy broke his jaw. He didn't break his jaw. I broke his jaw. You broke his jaw. Uh, maybe it was in the fall. I don't know. <laughs> well, you got the fist the size of a sledgehammer, man. <laughs> Come on, that's a big uh, mitt you got there. But anyways, I, I still don't think it was super fair. It was one punch, the mm. guy fell, I didn't do anything else. It's not like I mount him and... Well, and you, you were know, keeping somebody else from getting assaulted. Yeah, the judge didn't see that way. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to... to... Fair enough, yeah. fair enough. So you're not in Canada anymore. But wait, no. wait, so you left Canada speaking French and English. Yeah. So it was still a success. Yeah. You just um, can't go back to Canada. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to go back there because my brother lives there and I got a, a niece now. Oh. And I tried to get it, but with all this COVID thing, I'm supposed to go, like, go there in last June mm. for her birth. Yeah. But uh, with all these restrictions, whatever. So I'm trying to apply for a pardon. I already got a pardon. So the Canadian government <laughs> pardoned me. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't have a criminal record anymore. Oh man! And now that's I good. Ca I can't. I, but I still have to apply for a visa. You sure, know? sure. Well, you've been exonerated, so you're 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 yeah. not on their you're not on their no list anymore. Let's see. Fucking hell! All right. So where'd you go from Canada? And then, but in Canada, that's when I became a tennis instructor. Oh, uh, so you got your tandem rating in Canada? Yeah, in Canada. Jeez. All right. So what did, I mean, how many jumps did you have when you went there and what made you decide you wanted to start doing tandems? I think I had about a thousand jumps. I was already a FF instructor, but I didn't do in, in, in Brazil. I mm. was doing, but just on the weekends, I was going to university, skipping a bunch of classes to skydive <laughs> of and course. everything. But, uh, Still didn't make a lot of enough money to live of it, so I was still going to university and stuff. Sure. And even in Canada. So I moved to Canada, and then I didn't jump a lot for the first year there, was two years. Mm. And then I said, no, I have to go back. Yeah. 
Well, now, when you started doing your AFF rating in Brazil, did I mean, that's you were pretty low time to get AFF because, I mean, I know it's like 500 jumps to get your AFF rating, but I think I had like 4,000 jumps before I did mine, and it was still the most difficult course I've ever gone through. <laughs> it's a long story. Man. But uh, I started doing, before I took the course, the guy taught me kind of how to do it. Okay. And then I was doing, you know, it was... Kicked my ass, man. Yeah, I always had like 300, 400 jumps. Not even 400 jumps when I started doing AFF. Jesus. But before I actually took the AFF course, I was already doing it mm. for real. Sure. You know? So when I took it, it was kind of easy. Now, what about the tandem course? Did you find that easy? I found it easy, but I was super scared. Mm, yeah, you me know, too. Like I was way more scared than I was when I was doing Because I, I did a lot of camera before, and I saw like people having a hard time with the students. And it's like all the things that could go wrong. Was, right. Whoa. Right. I was super scared when I did the tandem, but then it suited me. <laughs> right. Right. Well, so it was, was kind of easy always for me, you know. It was the same for me when I when I got my tandem rating, and anybody that's listened to this podcast knows I did not want to be a tandem instructor. I was forced into it and hated it. And the first time I took a paying customer, uh, it was a Japanese guy that spoke no English who had oh, no gosh. idea that I was ten times as scared as he was, <laughs> just fucking terrified. It just wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and I'm sure you found the same thing too. Um, being a bigger guy, um, you get these little students. The big people didn't scare me at all. It's the itty bitty students that scared the shit out of me because they'd end up on my back all the time. No, people say that, but I, I, I didn't really, never had a hard time with small people. Nice. All big people, actually. Nice. I was always pretty, I don't know. It was easy for me. Well, the always. one thing I've noticed about you, because I've watched you doing um, uh, AFF and, and video, and you dress for success, man. You're the only person I've seen that'll go out and wear a big fucking baggy suit when you need to. Oh, I have to. Yeah, yeah we man. fall like bricks, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I got one speed, and it's fast. <laughs> even if it was much smaller, when I started doing AFF back in 2003 <laughs> or 2004, I was already using a big suit mm. and i think it's much easier it's easy to go faster than to slow down right? yeah for sure for sure and it doesn't even require being flexible in a big arch man it's easy to go fast it's easy to go fast <laughs> easy so you did your tandem rating in montreal and you started chucking drugs there yes nice and then that's when we we're like ah uh, and I had this whole thing court going on too i was a little bit depressed yeah and then because I was afraid of what might happen, the, the prosecutor was actually for 18 months in prison, <laughs> a year and a half. Really? Prison time, yeah, real prison. I was like, fuck, man, this it seems a little bit excessive, right? It was one punch. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Wow. No, I mean, that would make it tough to concentrate on anything. And then I, I really like doing tandems, you know, in the beginning especially. Well, mm. I still love doing tandems. I have a, a good time. Mm. And um, I started doing it, and it was like, oh, it's not so not, not as bad as I thought. It was mm. pretty cool, and I started getting more comfortable. And then I was like, but I couldn't in Montreal. It's only it's only until October, you know. Like sure. The season is pretty short. Sure. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna I need to go somewhere else. So I'm gonna not study <laughs> and go out of Montreal. And so where can I work as a tennis instructor? And I got this job in. Monterey Bay. Monterey Bay, California. Yeah, California. Oh, man. So I said, like, oh, and then I said, okay, going to stop studying for a while. Maybe I'll come back later. <laughs> but, that, but that was my, my – so that was the plan. Right. And then I went there, and and I, I need to renew my visa too. But then I, when I tried to go back to Canada, I couldn't. Mm. You know, they said, oh, you have a – Something like you're being persecuted, or whatever, so you cannot get a visa. I was like, okay, but I need to go there anyways to right to go to court. <laughs> so it was this big deal, and I went up, went, I went back to Canada just to to get deported. But <laughs> <laughs> they almost didn't let you go back to Canada, so that when you went back to Canada, they could throw you out. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what happened. So I went there, I went a, a couple a couple of court dates and whatever, and then. Finally got kicked out. But uh, 
after California, I worked for a little bit in Houston, Texas, because I couldn't get the visa to go back to Canada, so I kept postponing, postponing, and staying sure. in the States a little longer than I was planning to. And then, in the end, I went, there, went back to Canada, spent me three months there, this whole court thing took a while, sure. and then I went, I was departed back to Brazil. Wow, wow. Well, now in the but now in the meantime, let me ask you: What did you think of uh, being able to jump in Monterey and, and Texas and stuff? Well, it's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, Monterey yeah. is. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah, if you're going to go anywhere on that side of the the United States, Monterey Bay is pretty fucking spectacular. It's, it's beautiful. The drop zone there was, you know, had the the fastest twin order ever jump. The, not twin order, King Air, mm. the the C two hundred, whatever. Yep. Yep. You know, go to. 18,000 feet in eight minutes and a half. <laughs> it was crazy fast. Yeah, man. And then, but the landing area wasn't so great. And then I was there in the winter. Mm. There was not a lot of jumps. And then I I got this gig in Texas, mm. which was really cool for me. I learned a lot, so much there. You know, like uh, they had the nationals there the year I was there. Okay, nice. You know, so... I had all the teams from a lot of places in the world sure. coming, coming to train. Sure. And had the biggest pond over there. So yeah. that's when I started learning to swoop. Yeah, I was going to ask. So you you kind of you, you found your way into working in the sport pretty early, kind of like I did. Um, my first real experience with skydiving was shooting video. And then it was tandem. And next thing you know, I was just a working skydiver. Um, but I found my way into some fun stuff. And you did as well because you started really getting into the canopy stuff. Yeah, but it was, actually it was a long, long process for me to start getting to, can, get to canopy. Because mm. when I had like about 300 jobs, I got a little accident. You mm. know, it was just, just got scared. You know? mm, sure. I hit the ground super hard, going toggle whips. Oh and, God! <laughs> what were you flying? Uh, I, I think it was a Saber One One Seventy. You know. Sure, sure. And the toggle whips was the thing to do back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the craziest sideways recovery arcs. <laughs> yeah, and then I got scared. So I, I should have died probably that day. You know, sure. like I hit a, a mud like knee-deep mud, Oof. and that's what saved me. For sure. sure. Even then, I bounced over the canopy. Oh, Jesus. It was really bad. And then I got scared, so I stopped accelerating my turns, you know, for a long time. Sure. And then, so almost a thousand jumps later, I started, oh, man, I started having fun doing little 90s, you mm. know. It's like, oh, I need to, to learn how to do it properly. Sure, sure. And then I started asking, like, looking for information. And then it was a lot more available. Right, right. You know? Well, especially if you were in Texas for the Nationals. Exactly. You got the best of the best yeah. in the whole country. I did a bunch, of course, of Shannon Pilcher. Oh, man. Yeah. OG. Yeah, OG. He's OG, yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah, man. Love the guy. Really nice guy. Amazing. Super. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was lucky enough that uh, I was in uh, Skydive Cross Keys 2004, 2005, and and uh, that's when they had the, the PST, the Pro Swoop Tour, going on. Yeah. And it was guys like Pilcher and, and uh, Ian Bobo and, and uh, uh, Heath Richardson and the original yeah. gangsters. So you know? this, this year that was in Spaceland yep. in Texas, he... He and Bobo were part of the 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 Sky Spaceland team. Nice four-way team. Nice, not super team. Nice four-way team of, uh, along with two other guys, and uh, I think they broke the record for the most amount of points. You know, really? Yeah, in one one jump, was like forty-five. Hell. It's been broken many times afterwards, but sure. it was two thousand and nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those records get broken for sure. Yeah. So you start swooping and you're – well, that was the thing, right, for, for our generation too, for the guys that really started getting into the canopy stuff. There were no canopy courses. Like you you couldn't sign up for the Flight One course and you couldn't sign – you know, there, you literally had to ask the best of the best and hope that yeah, – cheers. <laughs> you had to ask them and, and hope that they would be willing to, you know, take pity on you. Well, at that time, running Spaceland – there was already a flight one. Course. Oh, there was. Yeah, awesome. And that's when I start learning properly. You know, like the right way. Okay. 
I didn't, I mean, well, I didn't really get into the canopy stuff for a long, long time. I kind of had similar stuff. I scared myself a few times, no major incidents or anything, but I was super slow on my canopy progression. Um, and I didn't, I don't think I actually swooped a pond until I went to cross keys. Um, and even then, I, I mean, I've said it before, nobody's ever going to come out to watch me swoop, which is just fine. Um, but I didn't really ever push it too much. Like I still fly the same size parachute I flew in 2004 now. Now, um, but you kind of really started. Did you think I want to compete? I really want to get into this kind of stuff. Yeah, at some point I was really into competition stuff. I even came, I even went to Dubai to some point you did. to yeah to compete, and uh, uh, third the IPC. It was the only international competition I did, but I, nice. I, I was a national champion in Brazil. <laughs> Fucking look at that. An intermediate level, and then like on a pro level, I went like second on accuracy and whatever. Really? Yeah. So you, I mean, you took it quite seriously. Well, I, I was trying to as much as I could, you know, sure. but it was hard when I went back to Brazil. When I went back to Brazil, it was really hard to train. Sure. And uh, the economy there wasn't that great, you know, so it was very expensive to, to well, it still is super expensive <laughs> right. to, to practice stuff. Well, especially but, with the wings that you have to fly to be, you know, competitive. What were yeah. you flying? Back in the days, like you were velocity. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, but I mean, you're still talking about a couple thousand dollar parachute. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's and but well, even then, like the people had the special lines, the thinner lines, they only last so many jumps. They couldn't, yeah. couldn't do that. I was using the same canopy for <laughs> yeah. AFS jumps. <laughs> that's the know? thing, right? Is I mean, it's people think, okay, well, yeah, that parachute is expensive, and they don't realize, no, it's not just that that parachute is expensive; it's that I can't jump that. It's not my daily canopy. It's not my daily jumper. You got to have that, and then you got to have the canopy that you can compete on. Yeah. Fucking hell. And then I started getting frustrated with, you know, was I qualified for the Mojo in 2012, mm -hmm. and I couldn't go. I didn't have money. I, you know. We picked a, the wrong sport, right, for cost because it's so fucking yeah. expensive. Everybody listening, you picked the wrong sport. It's so expensive to skydive. It's so expensive. It really is. Uh, but I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, enough with money. So you you get into the canopy stuff and you start swooping it. But at some point, and I wanted to ask this because you and I have a mutual friend, and it's the reason that we actually met the first time, this chubby, bald bastard by the name of Derek Massey that you know. He's a shit skydiver. <laughs> he just He's barely a tanning instructor. No, I'm serious. I love, he's I love, a pretty good tanning instructor. Yeah, he's man. fucking great. I as love you, As good as he gets. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that. Well, when you have done like 30,000 tandems, yeah, the fucking guy is as perfection as you can get when it comes to tandems. Yeah. How the hell did you... So you ended up jumping with him in Australia. In Australia, yeah. How'd you end up there? Man, it was a long time from, from Brazil. to I spent a couple, quite a few years in Brazil. And I, I, I worked for a little bit in Norway, too. Really? Yeah. And then I was trying to find a place that would accept me for my criminal record. <laughs> <laughs> so it was hard. Yeah. I tried to go a couple of times to New Zealand. They would accept me. Really? But, uh, uh, Australia welcomed me with open arms. Well, it's Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers no. to Australia. Cheers. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, um, yeah, it's funny because Derek and I jumped together um, quite a bit in Vegas um, back when I was still jumping there, and I have quite a few stories of the stupid things we used to get up to in in Vegas as well. So can when, only imagine. Oh man, yeah. When when he expatriated to uh, um, Australia, I think he'd been there for six months when I had my fortieth birthday, and I spent a month in Australia with him doing stupid shit over there too. <laughs> um, and he's still working hard and uh skydiving so it was kind of funny when he told me hey i've got a good friend that's that's come in your direction take good care of him and it turned out to be you because i remember walking up to you uh, um at the start when we started working together and going i think we know the same person <laughs> so you ended up in australia and you ended up working with derek doing the whole nine yards yeah, yeah? tandem tandem skydiving in, in perth in perth what do yeah. you think of perth I liked it a lot. It's a nice man. little yeah, city, right? It's a really nice city. I was living in Rockingham. It's just like 40 minutes south nice. of Perth. And uh, actually skydiving Rockingham. Nice. And then it was great, man. Life was easy. I was uh, jumping and 
most of the day you finish work by lunchtime, you know. <laughs> I'll go home, I had like live by the beach, I had a stand up paddle, you know. It's easy. Nice, nice. It was really good. Maybe I'll come back there eventually. Yeah. How long yeah. were you there for? Just a year. It's a it's another long story. Please, please. But uh it was a problem with my visa. Nothing to do with my criminal record. <laughs> Fair it enough. keeps coming back to it. Yeah, fair enough. But uh, there was nothing to do with it. There was uh, a lady that, that worked for the company. She, she messed up a, a bunch of applications. And a lot of people got denied because of that. And then I had to go out of Australia to reapply. Mm. And then my boss said, oh, it's only going to take a month. I was like, ah, I don't know. So I got rid of everything there. I got a gig in China. <laughs> wow. <laughs> for a month. It's supposed to only last one month, and then I could I could uh, go back, go yeah. back. But then the gig finished in China, and I was still there waiting for the visa. So every day I was like, "Oh, it's gonna come today." So I ended up <laughs> staying another month in China <laughs> on a hotel, waiting for it to come back sure. to Australia, and then it was taking too long. I was like, "Okay, man, I can't wait here. I'm right. gonna go back to Brazil and wait right. there." And then. On my way to Brazil was when I got offered this gig I'm currently now. Nice. So it was just kind of by happenstance that that all happened. Yeah. It Again, the story is much longer than that. When I arrived in Australia, I, 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 I applied many times to work here now. Yeah. And then, but it, at some point, I even got an a interview. You know, the guy said, can you come in two weeks? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then that guy got fired, like a long story. Sure. And then, so, and when I arrived in Australia, they offered me a job here. Really? Really. It's like, uh, I can't go now. I just arrived in Australia. Yeah. So one thing went to shit in Australia, and I, I called them here. So, are you still looking? <laughs> they said, no, not right now. So, I went to China. And then on my way back, they said, yeah, so we'll have a job for wow. you. Wow. Well, now, first off, what was jumping in China like? Because uh, I've known a few jumpers now that have gone that direction. It was really fun, man. I yeah, loved it. Yeah. Actually, it changed the whole... I don't know. I had a little bit of prejudice. Not against Chinese, but there was... There used to be... In Australia, we had a lot of Chinese customers. They were really hard. Sure. Difficult customers because they don't speak English. And then... So... And then when I went there, I was so well received, you mm. know, it was so warm welcome. And then they treat me super well. Sure. Everybody on the streets, you know, got out of their way to help me because mm. I didn't speak in Chinese. Sure. And then it, it changed my whole perception, you know. So now I even started learning Chinese. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. And then, like, I... I it changed, it changed the whole way. So That's I, awesome, really, I really enjoy China. I would definitely go back there. I Not to leave there forever, but to vac as, like for a vacation. Sure, know? sure. Well, I'm, I had a, a really good friend who you may or may not have met uh, named Rob Stanley uh, that jumped over there. Uh, unfortunately, passed away over there as well. Yeah. Uh, but he was loving it. Um, just having an absolute blast, and he uh, he jumped there, and and, and I, I think he was in either Vietnam or Thailand jumping as well, and just was loving the culture and loving the different experiences over there because it's so unlike anything that we know from the Western it looks world. Like another world, yeah. it's a different planet. Yeah, it it, it feels like a different planet when you go there, which but is the, amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. But the thing, the people were super nice. Mm. Super nice. Nobody speak any English, but which is they, they still went out of their way to try to to help me. You know, a bunch of times on the street, everywhere. people were taking pictures of me on the street <laughs> and my wife. You know, <laughs> people, hold 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 my baby that, so I can take a picture of funny. you holding my baby. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of stuff. We uh, I had uh, when I worked in Vegas. Uh, I had mentioned before we always had Japanese tourists that would come out, and a lot of times you'd get them that didn't speak any English. And but it was it, it became a, almost a challenge to see how you're going to explain how to jump out of this airplane to someone that speaks no English whatsoever and is nervous and scared and all that. So I'm guessing it was kind of the same thing in China because you're trying to get across. But, but I, to be fair, I worked in China for a month. I only did 15 jumps there. 
Only 15 jumps. Yeah, only 15 jumps. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't work that much though. Oh, fair enough. But then when I when I, I got this job, yep. there's a lot of Chinese customers. Sure. And it's like, oh, I'm going to keep learning Chinese. Yeah, then. why not? And then now I can do the whole briefing, briefing Chinese. Are you serious? Yeah, serious. Fucking hell. They love me. Dude, I got sold so short in the States because they just don't push languages. Like, you kind of got to have to take a little bit of language in high school, but that's it. If there's anything I could change about the upbringing, it would have been having to learn a different language. Especially because now I haven't lived inside the United States in a dozen years. I would love to speak more languages. <laughs> But now I'm just too... It gets easier, you know? Like every uh, every new language you learn is easier than the last one. <laughs> but the me? first one is super hard. Yeah, no, dude. To be fair, like I spent many years trying to learn English in Brazil. You know, it never happened. And then the only time I managed to learn English was in Canada. Mm. And I was doing five hours a day, five days a week on mm. language school. Well, and you're also immersed in it, right? Because it's an English-speaking company or country. So you, you kind of have to. Yeah. It's a little bit... But, well... <laughs> for me, pff, no. So you're in the Middle East now. Yeah, yeah. You're immersed in, in Arabic. Are you learning? No. Not, like, a, it, no. not a fucking thing. So you can go by not learning if you... If you, you have to try to learn, you know? Sure. Like it's, it's a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so it took me a long time to learn English and then a lot of effort to learn French too. And some people say, oh, you have an easy for language. No, man, I just worked super hard for it. Sure. I worked super hard for it. Even with the Chinese, I was doing, I was learning on an app. Right. But every day, half an hour a day or something, you know, it takes a lot of discipline. It doesn't come easy to me. <laughs> I don't think it, that's kind of a, um, I like that you use the word discipline. So discipline is not something that skydivers are great at no, anyway. No. <laughs> and it wasn't great either. I'm trying to get better. Right. We're, I mean, we're pretty good at just kind of doing what we want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that discipline thing. But it's it's funny because uh, – and one of the things that I love about traveling internationally and working with skydivers that are from all around the world is hearing all the different backgrounds and then finding out that they speak half a dozen different fucking languages and stuff. A mutual friend of yours and mine – Olga Namova um, always is uh, worried that her English is not that good. And yeah. I always have to tell her, you speak a different language really, really well, plus your language, plus this and that. I'm like, you're not supposed to be perfect at it. I speak one language yeah. fluently she's, and nothing else. She's pretty self-conscious of her English, but her English is pretty good. It's good. Yeah. It's absolutely good. I still give her shit for it, and, and I'm going to keep giving her shit and for it. And you have to, yeah. And I, I like when people give me shit and when I, like, a mistake, like you got off or got sure? away. Oh, yeah. it's, it's hard sometimes, but that's how you learn, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, So uh, I like when people correct me. For sure. Well, my girlfriend is from Finland, and, and uh, she speaks fluent English, but every once in a while she'll come up with something weird, and <laughs> I'll absolutely give her shit for it because English is the only goddamn language I speak. <laughs> It's it. That's the only one I got. So if someone wants to insult my uh, language skills, all they have to do is say, that's the only one I speak. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. So um, you did a bunch of – back to Scott. <laughs> you did a bunch of uh, competing in Brazil, and you even have gone international a couple of times. Is that something that still you want to keep doing? Man, so I didn't do for a couple of years because I couldn't. You know, it was hard. I didn't have the money to, to keep pushing forward. And then – you know, when I was in Australia, I said, like, oh, I'm going to get back to it. You know, like, I bought a new canopy. Mm. I want to start training again. But I'm still ha I still haven't decided if I'm going to compete or not, you know. Sure. Let's see if I have the energy to, to – it takes a lot of practice. In, um, and hardcore dedication. And I mean, yeah, dedication, yeah. It's a um, – that's the cutting edge of the sport. And I'm not getting younger. Right. It's swooping. It's something that really hurts you. You know, there's not it's not graceful landings. No, no. It's hard on your body. That's the thing is I'll watch swoopers now, and it used to be, you know, when you were swooping a stiletto, you could run out any landing. But now the canopies, when the flare is done, are still moving so fucking fast that you have no choice but to slide. And every time I'm watching a badass swooper sliding across the ground, I'm like, that's got it. That's going to wear. Like, I broke my tailbone a bunch of years ago. The idea of sliding across the field on my ass every well, day. Well, I think, I think the cannabis is super good. And you can, even what 
smallest canopy you get, you can still stand up landing, mm. like you stand up your landing, unless you're doing downwind, and then you really cannot. And that yeah. happens a lot with the supers. Sure. You know, like you're doing pretty hardcore downwinders. Oh, yeah. So there's no way you can stand up that landing. No, no, so no. you're no. going to slide a lot. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of um, people jumping on different canopies, uh, Derek... Bought one of my old canopies. He's never jumped a cross brace before. So, uh, Derek, if you're listening to this and you're he still... Ju- he just bought it? He just bought it. He just bought what? it. What? Um, it's a Velo 103. Awesome. So, and he's never flown anything like that before. And it took him... And I'm going to totally throw you under the bus, Derek. It took him like two hours just to get it in the bag. <laughs> to pack it. Because it's super crispy and slippery. And he didn't know how to S-fold something that small. <laughs> So it took him like two hours just to get in the bag. So if you're listening to this and you haven't jumped it yet, remember I told you don't fucking die on the yeah. parachute that I sold you, please. Please. <laughs> don't yeah. do it. Don't do it. So um, for now, it's it's uh, Chuck and Drogues. You've been doing a bunch of AFF again too, yeah? No, I haven't started back. I have to be. I have to convert my license because I don't have the USBA license. And, nice. Uh, I'm waiting for the the examiner now she has covid she's doing fine she's doing fine we just postponed again so i'm not doing AFF. i'm doing some coaching okay and uh camera i went back to camera because i didn't do camera for a couple of years mm. uh, i went back to camera too it's nice it's nice different different change you know yeah to swap things up a little bit yeah now you uh speaking of covid you wrote out covid in brazil yeah 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 it, it seemed like not very different from yeah. anywhere else, yeah. Just kind of chill? Just kind of chill. Man, I went to boogies and stuff. <laughs> Man, there was one place I went. It's a beautiful place, by the way. It's called Lensage Monayensis. And then we were right there, me and my wife. It was this amazing road trip, by the way. And then we were right there, and then the, we were wearing our masks. And then the guy, the organizer, uh, I think you're scaring people off of the mask. So do you mind taking the mask off? Seriously? I, seriously. <laughs> I was like, I don't mind at all. Let's take the mask off. So it seemed like there was no COVID there, you know? Wow. Wow. I mean, uh, all in all, I'd say myself, uh, absolutely included, have had a relatively easy time with the whole COVID thing. Uh, so hopefully now that the world seems to kind of be getting back on to track. I know that Europe locked down, but then it's loosening up again. And so hopefully we'll see. I think I see halfway decent things coming for, for the 2021 season. I really hope so. Fucking hell, man. I mean, skydiving is, it's tough to be, you know, COVID, you know, friendly when you're strapping human beings to you all day long. Right. Apparently there's no COVID after 6,000 feet. No, above 6,000 feet, COVID There's can't no, live, right? Yeah, I can't live. Oh, I don't know. Oh. It seems to be the, the scientific thing. Hey. You know, I don't know. Hey, fair enough. People smarter than me making up those rules. That's yeah. all I can say. I sit in my little plastic box because I got my little plexiglass shield in between me and the back of the otter, and that's it. Just me and my music in the cockpit and up and down all damn day. <laughs> up and down, up and down. Up and down, up and down. So you managed to, somewhere in the middle of all this, um, find uh, a, and marry a wife. So you're married. Yes. And your wife's bouncing around the world with you as well? Exactly. How long uh, have you guys been married? We've been married for a little bit over three years. We've been together for a little bit more than six years. Okay. And she's uh, she, has a, she lived a drop zone, li- drop zone life, too. Like, she... She doesn't have a, that many jumps, just 150, okay. 160 jumps. But her mom used to jump and her stepdad used to jump too. Oh, wow. They own little drop zone in Brazil. Oh, nice. So how'd you meet her? At the drop zone in Brazil, yeah. She was doing manifest. Uh, we, we became friends. We were friends for many, many years before mm. we actually started dating. Wow. Okay, cool. So you t- managed to just kind of accidentally fall into a full-blown life in skydiving after yeah. getting thrown out of Canada. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know that was possible to get thrown the fuck out of Canada. <laughs> yeah, me neither. It turns out you can be thrown out of Canada. It turns out you can get thrown yeah. out of Canada after all. So there's the potential for, for competing down the road, maybe? Maybe, yeah. I don't know, man. Maybe there's going to be a, a DIPC it was postponed to December, I think. Mm. So I might compete on that. Nice. Let's see if I have the energy to, to 
train. That's the big thing, right? Yeah. Is I and every every competitor that I know of says the same thing. It's not the competition that's the problem. It's the training for the competition. Yeah, the training. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is so you can go kind of kind of pull off a four way competition or something, and maybe not do great, but you can at least go have fun. But with swooping, if you're rusty, you're risking your fucking ass. Like it's yeah, no, dangerous. Yeah, you, you can't do it. Like yeah, that's how people die. Yeah. Yeah, you, they can do. You have to be pretty current and practicing, training a lot. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, and, shit. I mean, I, I hope that you find the time to do some training if you decide you want to go that route. And and uh, and yeah. in the meantime, it's hard. Like you know, like jumping so much, working a lot on the days off to get the energy to go fun jumping. And not only that, it's not fun jumping is one thing, but to actually go. And train. And train for swooping is really hard. Sometimes I go to the drop zone, I have to to drag myself to the drop zone sure. to find jump. Sure. Well, to. it's that's tough to explain to people that don't uh, that aren't in the sport, right? Is because they think that you know. Obviously, we started skydiving and we do skydive because we love it. But when you're doing it hardcore five days a week, the idea of going back on day six can sometimes be a little tough. Yeah. You know, for me, flying as much as I do. And especially when you get older. When I was younger, it was much easier to do that. Yeah. As the, the older I get, I find it harder and harder to go back there. Oh, yeah. Well, when I was younger, I was also sobering up in the pop-up tent right next to the landing area. So yeah. it was much easier to just roll out of bed, sober up, and yeah. get on the plane. Exactly. <laughs> it's not quite as easy these days. No. It takes a week to sober up. Right? <laughs> oh, man. That's one thing nobody ever tells you about uh aging until it starts to happen is that everything takes longer to recover and you know that so when you're thinking about oh i'm gonna go out and do some jumps and stuff you're like i'm feeling kind of stiff today like before i went and did my trip to uh everest i stopped jumping for like a month before everest because i was terrified i might twist my ankle and not get to go and that's the last time i was able to jump because when i got back from that trip in everest like a month later covid hit and that was it so i still have not jumped and I've been working so much Let's now. Let's go back now. Yeah, we should go back. Let's, jump. We'll have to okay. do one jump at least. Hell yes. All right. We're going to have to do that. Cheers to that. Cheers to All that. All right. We'll go make a jump. Flavio, thank you so much for taking the time to Already? come. See. Yeah, man. We've been an hour and 20 no, minutes. It was painless. I told you. I told you. People, they you stick a microphone in front of them. People get nervous. It, it's just a bunch of fucking skydivers, for Christ's sakes. We're just shooting the shit. That's it. That yeah. was good times. Good time, man. I love it. It was an honor. To yeah, be here. man. I, I was. It was a pleasure to have you in the can. I'm, I'm, I apologize that this is not the old studio in the toilet. Yeah, I have to say, I was disappointed. It was not sitting on the can. Yeah, to do the yeah. Podcast. Yeah. Well, so I had. I always had the honor of sitting on the toilet for that podcast. So when I was talking to Craig Gerard. Sitting on a toilet doing it. <laughs> it's one yeah, of those yeah, things. It was a really good one. Craig Jai's an amazing guy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, next time I promise I'll make you sit on a toilet. Okay. <laughs> All right. One more time. Cheers. Thank Cheers. you so much. Thanks for having Take me. Take care. And there you have it. Another Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can. Brought to you, as always, by the greatest magazine in the known universe. That's right, Blue Skies Magazine. Head to blueskiesmag.com to check them out. Also brought to you by Pussfoot.com, the extreme sports collective. Go check it out. Type it in, Pussfoot.com. Brought to you by Summit Parachute Systems. Jarrett Martin kicking ass over there making amazing pilot rigs and rigging courses at SummitParachuteSystems.com. And as for me, as always, the fucking pilot, head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com to get this and all the other podcasts as well as both the books. Thanks again. We'll see you.
Jam. 